Hi, everyone. This is Andy Hagens, co-founder of AltsDB and Wealth Channel. On Wednesday, February 15th, 2023, we hosted our first ever multifamily investor expo at Wealth Channel. And wow, this was a fantastic event. The Wealth Channel event was limited to accredited investors and financial advisors, and the registration and attendance numbers just smashed our expectations. There's so much engagement, so much fun. The podcast episode you're about to hear is the audio version of an educational panel that I had the pleasure to moderate at this event. The panel was titled Wealth Development Strategies with Multifamily, and our panelists had some great chemistry, even a little friendly disagreement, which I always think makes things you know more interesting. So if you're placing capital in multifamily investments or even considering it, you don't want to miss this episode. And I hope you enjoy the panel. And if you want to check out any of the other recordings, just head over to Wealth Channel. Uh, our website is wealthchannel.com. Thanks and enjoy. You're listening to the Alternative Investment Podcast. We give you the insights and strategies you need to grow your wealth with alternative investments. Now, here's your host, Andy Hagens. Today's panel is called uh, Wealth Development Strategies with Multifamily. And right, that's the name of the ballgame today. That's why we're all here joining me today. I have three panelists, James Hans, Ashley Tyson, and DJ Van Curen. I want to introduce them each individually here. So James Hans is founder at Green Bison Capital. Uh, at Green Bison Capital, James helps connect investors to commercial real estate investments that deliver passive income. He is a licensed securities professional holding the Series 63 and 82 registrations with FINRA. And he's also a registered representative of a New York City-based broker-dealer. James, welcome to the panel. Hey, good morning, Andy. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Absolutely. And uh, next, we have longtime friend of the show, friend of Jimmy's, friend of mine, Ashley Tyson, founder and CEO of OZ Pros. Ashley, I'm going to introduce you as the OZ Sherpa, if that's okay. So as founder and CEO of OZ Pros, Ashley specializes in helping asset managers and high net worth investors form their own opportunity zone funds. As an attorney and expert advisor, Ashley also consults with high net worth investors regarding tax advantage structures and investment strategies. Ashley, thanks for joining us today. Andy, thanks. Uh, it's always a pleasure to be on the show with uh, with you and with Jimmy. I love the energy. I love the guests that you guys put together. I love the topics. I love the interaction. And um, honor and a privilege to be here today. Thanks again. Thank you. And you know, I appreciate that, Ashley, because it is to, to me. It's also about having fun, right? It's not. Yeah. It's just because it's investing doesn't mean it needs to be dry and and boring. We, we it doesn't have to suck. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Last but not least, we have DJ Van Coren, co-managing uh, member at Evergreen Property Partners, as well as founder of the Family Office Real Estate Institute. DJ has experience working with three different family offices, and he has been ranked as a top 10 family office investment professional. Uh, aside from co-managing his investment consortium, DJ is also a podcaster and an in-demand keynote speaker at leading events for family offices and ultra high net worth investors. DJ, welcome to the panel today. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Uh, glad to be back. So let's start with a big, big question. The big question, why multifamily? Uh, why does this specific sector have the potential to help investors grow and protect their wealth over the long run? 
James, why don't I start with you? Yeah, uh, Andy, this is um, something that's resonated with me for a long time. It's it's the intrinsic value of a building, of a of a building, and it's where people have to live. Um, people always need a place to live. Uh, you have the the stability of many units, so it's uh you know it's it's much more stable uh, than than a single family. Um, the cash flow uh, is there. Um, you can um, get uh, value out of uh, the income. So uh, if it's an income producing asset, it's got the the, the value that's there, um, and you can drive that value um, and force appreciation through good operations of that asset. So uh, it's very easy to kind of understand the financials when you're looking at it. Um, the tax efficiency is there uh, as a direct investor, as opposed to owning a, a paper asset, you can really take great advantage of what real estate provides, which is depreciation. So you can uh, become a limited partner and, and invest in an asset and uh, enjoy the depreciation to offset uh, the, the tax uh, liability. And really it's a deferred tax strategy. Um, and again, I think the value add Piece, and that's what we we kind of specialize in and focus on is is wonderful where you can um, drive the value by increasing uh, by increasing the income um, and, and you know decreasing expenses and we can kind of talk through that some more so uh, that's that's all the things that kind of come to mind high level um, on that so yeah and I don't know if anybody was counting I think James listed five good reasons like each of them was a good reason. Um, and there's probably even more reasons, oh, yeah. you know, income, price appreciation, capital preservation, tax advantages, plus something that's just easy to understand. Everybody needs a roof over their head, right? So yeah. DJ, I'll, I'll ask you next, you know, you have experience working with family offices. These are ultra high net worth investors managing, you know, portfolio, you know, very large portfolios, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars. Multifamily is, is so, so popular with family offices. Why is that? Yeah, we do. As you know, Andy, we do the largest family office real estate investing study in the world. We just finished up our fourth year. We're starting our fifth year now. So what's happened over those years is multifamily has continued to be uh, the main uh, property type for families to invest into. Uh, you know, and some of those reasons are exactly, you know, what's already been, been said and what James brought up. Uh, which is very easy to understand, for one. Uh, you're also able to mitigate your risk on uh, having so many units, right? So unlike an office building, if one tenant leads, you could have a pretty big problem. But on the multifamily side, one leaves and, you know, if you had 100 units, now you only had a 1%, you know, uh, uh, release in the occupancy perspective. But the other thing, too, is that with the way that um, you know, student loans have been so expensive or ha has caused a lot of people not to be able to buy a home. Homes have really gone up in, in uh, price over the years. And so, you know, the easiest way for that shelter is to rent. And that's really what's been driving demand um, is, you know, people moving to these different areas where there's uh, affordability and new jobs and, and, uh, apartments is the easiest place to go and, and what, what affordable. Yeah. And, you know, DJ, you just made a great point, um, about student loan crisis. And the fact of the matter is 
during periods where the economy is in recession, historically, multifamily has been one of those sectors that has held up very, very well. Have to give a shout out to Scott Hawksworth, our, our business development director, because he wrote a white paper on this that we released, just showing some of that historical data. And so that's that capital preservation you know, angle. And of course, we want returns. But when you're talking about families, you're talking about people that want to leave a legacy, right? Multi-generational wealth. Um, Ashley, how about you? You know, you you work with so many individuals, both in the OZ world and, and just in general, high net worth investors. And and you kind of, you know, you, you work with them one-on-one. You, you get to hear what they're really thinking, right? What is it that attracts them to multifamily? So I, you know, I think that one of the things in, 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 in both DJ and James kind of alluded to this, but it's the opportunity to be able to scale and to scale effectively, right? So you have the ability to be able to condense an enormous amount of these people, right? That are looking for a place to sit. They have to have a place to live, right? But you could take them and you can consolidate them into a very small area, right? So it- Actually, that sounds almost Soviet. <laughs> well, but it's it's and and here's the thing, right? Is that um it, it's it's not Soviet. It's really green, right? Yeah. It's a it's an it's an ability for us to be able to um consolidate the amount of sprawl that's happening. It's the ability, I mean, you know, it's all of the things that are out there, you know, that they that we talk about in the Urban Land Institute. Um, but it's also the ability to be able to effectively manage that with, you know, significantly less infrastructure, you know, because if you've got all of these folks there, you know, you can do that with a, uh, with way less people because you don't have to go all over the city in order to manage, you know, a, a bunch of single family rentals. And, uh, I, I think that that's the, you know, the key piece, even if it's in a horizontal play, right. Whether that's a mobile home, com- mobile home park community, uh, an RV park, or uh, you know, single-family rentals where you're doing build-up, you know, ground-up um, development of single-family houses that you're renting out. It still you know, it lines up kind of with the multifamily concept, right? And so um, we, I've seen a lot of folks do that, um, both inside of the opportunity zone play, and you know, folks that are doing it outside. Um, and where I've really seen it at play are folks that have done that. And that have done that historically, and to uh, you know, to DJ's point and and to James's point as well about the value add play is that these folks are incurring massive capital gains based upon the demand for those assets. So they're exiting stuff that's outside of the opportunity zone. They're realizing that hey, the opportunity zone program allows me to, to defer those gains, and then ultimately what I you know I invest in next. Right. And I've got experience doing multifamily. So why don't I go and do some of that stuff just in the zone? And now my next play, right, where I'm adding value or I'm doing a ground up development, I'm going to exit that for zero capital gains. And the fourth benefit of, you know, the opportunity zone program is that it eliminates depreciation rate capture. So to James's point about being able to harvest that depreciation to offset income, you know, when you layer on top of that, you know, the opportunity zone benefit, it's amazing what you get relative to kind of an after tax bump. Generally, it's around a 3% increase in IRR. 
And let's face it, right? If you're a multifamily investor and you're looking at a deal that's, you know, I mean, we've seen cap rates that are down in like the the high twos and the threes, right? And obviously we're seeing those creep up because of interest rates, but they got that low. And so if you were looking at a deal that's a three cap, and then you're looking at the same deal and it's a six cap, that's real estate investing nirvana. And that's what opportunity zones do to the same deal. And so that's why, you know, we, we've seen people that they're attracted to all of the, you know, the components of multifamily. And they're like, all right, yeah, man, if I could do this in a zone or I can exit on the back end tax-free, wow, holy cow. Yeah. And a- Ashley, we're going to get to the tax advantages of multifamily. You gave a really good, I think, kind of recap of when you put this already attractive asset class in a tax advantage wrapper, um, you're, you're, you're making it that much more attractive. But you made another point that I thought was really interesting is that multifamily is green. It's eco-friendly. It's environmentally friendly. So if there's any future politicians listening right now, or maybe maybe developers that you know need to go to their local planning commission and trying to fight nimbyism, uh, let's yeah. let's try and play up this environmentally you know friendly angle because that's important, right? And 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 it's almost like uh, I'd almost say it's like using jujitsu or 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 something you know against some of the nimbies that that don't want any housing built anywhere. Well, guess what? We need housing. And, no, and we need pop- it bad. I mean, yeah. it's crazy how bad we need it, particularly in high growth areas. And it's interesting is that it's the high growth areas that are like, and and they're starting to turn the corner on this. They're starting to realize, oh, rut row roars, we got a problem, <laughs> right? We got all we got a hundred people a day moving to Charlotte, North Carolina. Oh, and we've historically been, you know, kind of frowned frowning upon, you know, these really in, you know, dense multifamily type deals. Oh, you know what? Actually, that's actually probably a pretty good idea. And and then what What's really kind of cool and what's really neat about this too is that they're now starting to realize that, hey, let's not try to figure out where we're going to park all these people. Let's actually discourage parking, right? And let's encourage people to take uh, you know, light rail or let's encourage people to take that kind of stuff. And so it's fascinating to see the evolution of you know, people's perspective on multifamily. Ab- absolutely. And, and so Ashley, you already did kind of a good job, I would say, framing the Opportunity Zones wrapper. But I want to talk about some of the other rappers, you know, hosting the podcast and and Jimmy and I with Wealth Channel, we're always talking about triple net returns. And especially if you're a high net worth investor, if you're a family office or if you're an RIA who works with high net worth clients, it's all about the triple net, right? It's not about the gross returns. It's what returns are you able to take home and reinvest after taxes, after inflation, after fees. So DJ, I want to ask you. Aside from opportunity zones, which I am excited about, I, th- I think we covered those a little. Are there any other tax advantage wrappers or tax programs that high net worth investors should be looking at right now? Maybe DSTs, 1031s. Is there anything else? Yeah, the, ten, ten, the 1031 exchange is is by far the, um, I would have to say, the other tax benefit uh, that people should be looking at. Um, you know, 80%, we've gone to our fourth year, 80% of families don't use 1031 exchanges, which is pretty astonishing to me. Um, a lot, there's, you know, various reasons. A lot of it has to do with education, which is also why there's a lower uh, portion of people that go into OZs that are, you know, large hundreds of millions, billions of dollars families, uh, which just having to do with the rules and, and understanding, but it's it's an education persp- perspective. But you know, 1031 exchanges is a great way to continue to vary your gains. 
and uh, having a compounding effect. I mean, if you got 15% return on a deal, it turns into 21% pretty quick. Uh, and then you can have that continue to compound and it's also tax-free at death. Uh, the other areas that, you know, a lot of people aren't as noticed as much about are uh, low-income housing tax credits that they can purchase. There's also new market tax credits that can be bought, um, you know, as well. And even with, um, you know, outside the multifamily space, there's even carbon credits that can be tied in. You know, you talk about green and doing good. There's some of those opportunities as well. But, um, you know, I think the biggest one after the, uh, you know, including the LZ is the 1031 exchange. And, uh, you know, there's no reason to pay tax today. They always try to get rid of it in Congress, but there's too much of a benefit. And, uh, you know, uh, so I don't really see that going away. I, I agree, DJ. They, they can pry the 1031 exchange for my cold, dead hands. Uh, James, how about you? You know, you work with a lot of high net worth investors seeking passive income. You know, are, are folks that you work with, are, are they looking at those tax advantages and using some of those strategies? Yes. Uh, what DJ was saying about the 1031s, we, we, we um, about 20% of the capital that, that our groups raised over the last two years has been from 1031 exchanges. Um, and it, quite frankly, could be a lot more. Um, just getting getting the word out there, and what's interesting is you can accomplish that in certain states through um, through a syndication. So uh, you know you can still accomplish the goals and the rules of a ten thirty one, but uh, also um, be become a passive investor um, in a syndication deal through a tenancy in common structure. Um, not an attorney, but uh, this this has worked and and worked well for. Uh, a lot of our um, high net worth investors, uh, where they they can, it really works well as well. Not only from a tax standpoint, but from a you know, somebody who maybe with um, of their family own a large you know apartment community um, or a commercial property, and they're tired of managing it, and they want to switch from active to passive, so they um, can you know take advantage of the ten thirty one, but also there's a huge ROI on their time. Uh, switching into a, a syndication uh, with a you know as a passive investor and and you know particularly something that's cash flowing right out of the gate they get nice income as well and a step up in their basis so uh, that's that's come to to me and, and to some of our folks uh, who were some folks were pursuing DSTs and they were kind of getting squeezed on 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 their returns a bit this was uh, about a year or two ago and we're kind of coming into the 1031s with the uh, syndication. So that's the extent of our our work on, on that. Interesting. You know, Andy, oh, Andy, I was just going to say too, is that, you know, you, you mentioned triple net properties and, and um, you know, that's a, that's a way that, that you can 1031 into it. And that is for the most part passive. You know, if you've got a Walgreens and you have a 20 year lease or you're not doing much, you have a Starbucks, you know, you're, you're not doing much at all. And, um, you know, when you take in what was brought up before, I think Ashley might have brought it up, you know, depreciation, yeah, you to interest rate expense deductions, um, you know, and, and everything that's provided for you in real estate, you really are going to come down with no taxes, even on the income. Um, and so it's a great way to uh, 1031 your money into another property um, that you own, even yourself, and you're going to end up washing out, you know, any of that income that you do receive. So 
you know, that's, that's one of the reasons why I love real estate so much. There's just so many benefits to it. Yeah. So, at, so Andy, and I'll follow, I'll follow up on that, right? Uh, what James is talking about. So I am an attorney and, uh, and, and that's what I did in a previous life was I did 1031. Uh, we did tenant and common syndications. So we would effectively put, we called it buying real estate by the gallon and selling it by the scoop, right? <laughs> is that we could syndicate, you know, up to 35 ticks, right? Tenants in common. And we could go out and get, you know, um, CMBS loans, right? Non-recourse debt on it. And, you know, when, when you're able to marshal all of those things together, it's magical. Um, and, and it's, you know, the, the level of returns and pass through losses that you're able to get are spectacular because you're able to participate in something that's way bigger than what you would normally be able to do. Um, now one thing about 1031 that you need to be careful of though, is that if your net estate is approaching $10 million that after, you know, 2025, your the lifetime exemption amount comes from you know uh, eleven point seven per person down to five or roughly five point two per individual, and so your now lifetime exemption amounts right at ten million dollars. And the challenge with ten thirty one is that you do get a step up in basis at death, and so anything that's above that ten million dollar threshold is going to be potentially subject to that estate tax at the then current market value. Um, one of the benefits of opportunity zones that you know people don't really talk about is that it freezes the amount that goes against your estate of what you contribute into the fund as opposed to what the then current value of it is. So just something to be thinking about for folks, right? You know, this is informational, right? Relative to multifamily, that's something to be thinking about in the context of 1031 that not a whole lot of people are talking about. Yeah, yeah I, you know, I, I, I would. Sorry, Andy. I, I, I would question now is that that even though you, you're going to pay that tax in the future, you, the compounding effect that you've realized over a long period of time is going to wipe out any of those. Yeah, sure. Tax components, you know. I, um, but I absolutely you know. agreed, and I love 1031. I just think that people need to be paying attention to it. That if there are states approaching, you know, five to ten million dollars right now, and I mean, you can solve the state problem with lots of other stuff, right? You can do you know, life insurance, and you could do other types of strategies in order to solve that problem. But people need to be paying attention to it. Yeah, hundred percent. And you know, we can we can duke it out. Ten thirty ones versus DSTs versus <laughs> odds, right? I love that conversation, but it to me, it's almost missing the point, which is that a lot of high net worth investors, very high net worth investors, and even the ultra wealthy and family offices, a lot of their investments are not tax advantaged at all. I mean, aside from the depreciation and the stuff that you get from pretty much any real estate project, they're not doing that upfront work to work with an advisor, to work with someone like James or Ashley or DJ to, to sort of game plan and think about, okay, I want to invest in this asset class. How do I do it in a tax advantaged manner that's going to enhance my triple net return? So to me, it's you know, OZs or DSTs or 1031s, yes. all of the above. Yeah. It's for me, it's a Thanksgiving dinner. I want turkey. I want mashed potatoes. I want stuffing. Give me the whole multifamily feast. But, you know, I think we're all sold on multifamily as a sector. We're sold on the long-term benefits and that long-term philosophy. But my question is on 2023. This is my question next, which is interest rates are a lot higher. And as an investor, I'm wondering, and I mean this literally, as, as an investor, I'm personally wondering, is this a good time to invest, have 
cap rates expanded enough to really compensate for the fact that interest rates are so much higher. Um, so is this a good time to be investing or should high net worth investors, should they be holding cash maybe for opportunities later this year or next year? James, what do you think? Let's start with you. Yeah, um, it depends. That's a great answer, right? It depends. Uh, I think this year will, uh, the, the days of cap rate compression are over. You know, we, we're, I think it, as an investor, you have to be particularly astute uh, to uh, look at the sponsor um, and make sure this, this sponsor is rock solid um, from an operation standpoint, pre preferably vertically integrated, um, that they have a great track record that they're well capitalized. Uh, that's very important. Um, and, you know, with all of that comes great broker relationships and those types of things. But it, this will be a year, I think, for opportunities, particularly with um, debt and things that are on uh, properties that are under distress. Uh, we, we've seen it recently where one, one property came about because um, the current sponsor or current operator couldn't um, wasn't capitalized well didn't have a good um, business plan executed last few years and they had to, they couldn't refinance the debt. So James, you're, you're not just opportunities later this year. We're already starting to already, see already seeing it. Yes. Yeah. Already seeing it. Uh, we have, we've seen it in next month. Uh, the property is going to be closing and it's, it's, it's from a, a deal that um, the, the current um, uh, owner couldn't refinance and has to sell the loan's maturing it's coming due so uh, i think there'll be there'll be more of that and we're kind of seeing some signs of that and uh, particularly folks over the last couple of years where maybe they were picking um you know doing the the, the financial analysis between fixed rate debt versus uh, floating rate and maybe buying a cap on that on the interest rate and uh the cap uh maybe it's only a one or two year cap and that's coming up and they have to, you know, buy another cap. So these things are, are I think, going to be unfolding more this year. But again, it, the opportunities are going to be with the folks who are well capitalized and can strike. Um, Speaking of well capitalized folks, DJ, let me ask you your opinion, but also the families that you talk to, you know, are they making moves right now or are they thinking about later on in the year or next year yeah so the, the short answer is is that you know they've been sitting on dry powder they're waiting what happened during the last recession was families waited until everything started to take off so toward you know when the recession started coming out from the bottom and going up is when they popped in rather than bottom of the market right this time Families have learned from that. And so they're, now they're like, okay, I want to take advantage of this. And, and that same thing happened in COVID. We really didn't see the changes that we thought. Um, but they're like, okay, let's sit back and, and see what's going to happen. And, you know, like James said, I, this, I, there's a couple of things. I'm going to say the first caveat is that you always have to look back to the fundamentals and do you have the fundamentals in a certain area, right? Mm -hmm. cost of living, quality of life, is there the demand that's there? 
Um, and you can make money in any market, an up market, a down market. So I don't think people should necessarily say, I am not investing at all because you could miss an opportunity. But with that said, you know, there's a reckoning that's coming and you had anybody could invest. Let's put it this way. If you're an operator and you start investing in 2012 and you didn't make money, well, you probably shouldn't be in this business. And I think we're going to really start seeing uh, how good and who's real from an operator perspective, like James said, which is it, it always should be underwriting the sponsor anyway. But, you know, we have negative leverage potential. We're going to have a lot of these floating rates that are happening. People w- were saying, hey, we're going to refinance and we'll take the money out. Guess what? That's probably not going to happen. Um, you know, we have a friend over at the works for the Best Buy family, and he was talking to somebody that heads the banking, um, you know, on a national basis. And he's like, this is going to be worse than a lot of people imagine from a debt perspective. And this time we're not going to bail them out is what they're saying. And so there's definitely going to be opportunity. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, I, I still think that you need to say, what happens if you know people would always say we're going to buy at a five cap, sell at a four cap? Well, guess what? It, that's definitely not happening. So you, sh- if you are looking at a new deal, you should be saying, okay, they're buying it at you know a five cap, for example. What happens if they have to sell at a seven cap? What happens if vacancy rates go from five percent down to fifteen uh, percent vacancy rate? Right. Um, so you need to. What happens if the interest rate that they're quoting at six percent ends up being seven and a half percent? You know. And if you take those considerations, those things in consideration, see what those returns come back and you're like, I can live with that, then definitely go ahead and invest. But there's definitely going to be opportunities that are coming up, but don't also miss out on something just because you think the grass is greener when you've already got a great deal in front of you. Yeah. And and Ashley, I, I want to give you a quick minute to respond, but then I, I also want to move on to our last question. But Ashley, one of the things I love about you your positive, optimistic guy, your positive energy always rubs off on me. And my thing is, there's always a reason not to invest. There's always a reason not to act. Nothing is ever perfect. And it seems like a lot of people are kind of scared off right now. In a way, is that a bullish sign? So, I mean, I I love what DJ was talking about, about a stress test, right? And I think that inside of, you know, my exuberant optimism, right, and energy and that kind of thing, that um, I surround myself with people that are way more practical because I understand, you know, I've never met a projection that I didn't like, right? Uh, uh, Projections are always fantastic, um, but they're just projections and they've got lots of assumptions built into them. And so I want real... Uh, down to earth people, it seems like DJs, you know, kind of like that, right? That says, well, hey, no, let's look at this, right? And let's think about what happens if something goes awry. And I think that that's one of the things that you have to do inside of that exuberance. But it's also got to be balanced to his other point, right? About, not, you know, missing out on opportunities. The interesting thing about my space is, is that most of the people that are, that I'm dealing with, they have a clock that's going relative to um, the you know the time periods of investing because of the opportunity zone program. Now they're very extended out, right? So they've got a lot of time to make investments, but still, just having a clock 
in, you know, is, is causing folks in the back of their mind to be like, you know what, I need to get this money and in to play, I need to put it to work. And so I think that folks inside of opportunity zones are a lot of times probably a little bit more bullish because of that, because they've got that clock going on in the back of their mind. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the, the other, I guess, kind of good thing about it is, is that they're typically, you know, still, uh, a value add play. So there's usually upside there because of where they are and that there's growth coming and that kind of thing, um, that is not necessarily maybe at play in a mature asset in a really mature location that you've got to be really concerned about those, you know, those really fine assumptions. There's, there's usually lots of room and lots of upside that people can deal with if it, you know, if there's certain market conditions that go down. That makes sense. Yeah. And, and I, we have a couple questions here in the chat, but I had one more of my own questions that I, I wanted to ask DJ specifically. And, you know, with our audience here, everyone watching this, everyone listening to this is a high net worth investor, right? You have to be an accredited investor even to register for this event. But, you know, we, ha we it kind of runs the gamut from high net worth, accredited investor to very high net worth, ultra high net worth, family office, RIA is representing the ultra wealthy. And, and DJ, my question for you is what can high net worth investors, you know, independent investors learn from family offices, from folks who are managing generational wealth, legacy wealth? What are the philosophies? What are the habits of, of successful family offices that, that we can learn, that, that we can take from them? That, that I, I I laugh a little bit because the amount of money that families lose by the second generation and third generation could make you question if they really know what they're doing after the after the patriarch and matriarch. But that's why we're on a quest, you know, with the institute to help that. You know, the one great thing about real estate is that the fundamentals are the same whether you're investing a hundred thousand dollars or a hundred million dollars. You still have to look if you're going to partner with somebody it comes back to the quality of the sponsor. You know, it comes back to the market and, and everything else. I think that, um, you know, the biggest things that they can, they can learn, um, is, uh, patience, you know, and making good decisions. Now, um, just like Ashley said, you know, I call it money in motion. OZ money is in motion up, up uh, 1031 capitals money in motion to the point where you're like, oh my God, I got to make a decision, right? Mm -hmm. But I, I think it's patience to be able to go in and take a long-term perspective, really take a long-term perspective. And, you know, that's another thing great about real estate, which is um, it's, it's liquid or not liquid. I'm sorry. It's illiquid. Mm -hmm. So you can't necessarily go anywhere. But I think, you know, you find a good partner, somebody you like, you trust, that you have a good relationship with, that you that you, they've done successful in the past. Be patient, um, make good decisions, you know, quantify. And like I was saying before about these stress tests, I would ask sponsors and say, well, what happens if this happens? Or what happens if that happens? Let them show you because they should. And if they don't, then I would I would hold tight and I would question, is this somebody I want to go with? Because they're saying they bought it at a four, they're selling it at a one cap. I mean, it's just not, it's not realistic. Right. So I think it's, it's, um, and ask for, and referrals too. I think, you know, talk to people, families do that all the time. They refer people to other families or they'll ask families, who do you know? 
And I think that's a great lesson. Well, that, that makes a lot of sense, DJ. And it point is, is well taken that, you know, a lot of these families, you know, it be, it's, should be legacy wealth, but it becomes not legacy wealth and it, and it does disappear. So I think that's part of our mission here is to help folks make smarter decision. Ashley, I know that you work, you know, we can't name any names or anything like that, but you know, I know you've had uh, clients call you that might be sitting on a capital gain of a hundred million or more from the sale of a business or, you know, technology stock options or, or whatever. What are some of those success stories? What are some of the mistakes maybe that you could share with us, you know, everyday high net worth investors? Yeah. So um, I had a gentleman that um, that did have a substantial capital gain from the sale of a business and we dropped it into a fund. And, um, you know, inside of his fund, um, he was concerned about not making any money in the bank account. And so we've got, you know, a program where you can loan it out to yourself so that you could put it into something that's giving a little bit more uh, traction. And, you know, typically, you know, we are absolutely recommended, hey, listen, put it into like T-bills or put it into something that's, you know, liquid because you got to cycle it back through in, you know, between six months and a year. And this gentleman put it in the market and the market went down. And so the market you know, does that sometimes. Exactly. You know? <laughs> and so, you know, he's really hesitant to sell. Yeah. And so he's either looking at, uh, I sell these in order to generate liquidity so I can run it back through the fund and comply with that. Right. Cause if I don't, then I'm going to get hit with the tax bill mm -hmm. or I, um, I've got to come up with cash from somewhere else in order to basically run it through. And so I, you know, once again, right, it's a um, it's caution in the context of ebullience. And I think that that's, you know, the thing that. Um, well, this is so interesting, Ashley. I feel like you're saying the same thing, DJ. I was just going to I was just going to say I'm saying this exact yeah. same thing. <laughs> and the biggest issue is being able to um, understand that surround yourself with professionals who can assist and then yeah. educate your kids about how to do that same thing to rely upon the professionals and to build those relationships so yep. that that way they don't do dumb stuff when they get married to the girl that really likes money. You know, that, that, that is the biggest thing. And, and this is one of the things, Andy, why it's important for what you guys are doing, which is, you know, the, the patriarch matriarchs, our definitions, 250 million or more for a family is that the, they knew how to create the wealth. As you start going down those generations, it's like a lottery winner. They didn't know how to make the money. So it's very easy to lose. And so that education component, understanding, learning, right? How to maintain that wealth, how to invest is very important. And so listening to shows like this is, is what needs to be done. And, and people should be inviting, you know, younger family members, to be honest with you, listening to some of this stuff so that they can start today. Yeah. And it's, you know, kind of this theme is, I guess it's, it's humility. It requires humility. Because a lot of the folks attending this event, you're a business owner. You might be you might be a developer, but you might be a tech executive. You might have a startup that you sold. You had a liquidity event. You know, if you're running, if you have a family office, if you're the matriarch or patriarch, maybe you had a business that sold copper wire. I don't know something random or a chain of restaurants or sporting goods supply store, a chain of sporting goods stores. You know, you have to be cognizant that. I don't know everything. I'm not an expert in everything. I may have amassed a fortune in one area. Doesn't automatically make me an expert at real estate. But typically, 
the really good CEOs, the really effective business leaders, they know how to surround themselves with talented people, you know, and, and to lean on the talent and expertise of others, you know, folks like Ashley and DJ and James, and then partnering with quality operators, quality sponsors who have the track record. I, I think a lot of you kind of mentioned that already, that track record. So, so important. You know, you want to have a sponsor that has done at least one market cycle. I mean, preferably two, three, four market cycles. And it's not their first rodeo when you're you're trusting your hard-earned capital with someone else. So to me, that's the actual smart thing is to say, I can't be an expert at everything, right? I'm going to find the folks who are best at this and I'm going to partner with them. So Andy, and this is, I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole, but one of the things that um, that we've started to do and to really, you know, so people come to us for opportunities on consulting, but we've seen it relative to enough of these folks, because a lot of these folks don't, it's not family wealth. It's recently earned through some kind of event. And, um, and so we're walking them through that they've created a core value statement and a mission and, you know, things that define who they are in their business so that that way they can communicate those to their employees, but they haven't done that for their family. And so we're encouraging them to say, what are your family core values? What, you know, what was it that allowed you to get to the place where you are right now? And then how do you delineate that in like a family constitution so that you could pass down those values to folks. And then you can also utilize that for your trustees when you die relative to how they guide how the money should be dispersed out of the trusts. And so that's the beginning part of it. And then there's lots of stuff that you can add on. And DJ's smiling because he's probably got like a list of stuff that could be added on to that. But it's it's really awesome to see him start to work and, you know, the lights to go off on that. Yeah, I do. And it, I just doesn't, I won't go into this in detail, but I got to tell you, it's amazing to me how people create all this wealth by having all of this infrastructure and planning and goals and objectives. And then all of a sudden they get all this money. And it's like they forgot that, oh, we need to, you know, <laughs> all you're doing is replicating what you were doing. And, and they just, so that's why I was laughing. It's weird that. because it's like, well, it, it, it's my family, so I don't need to do that. Right. It should just happen. And it's not, you got to be very intentional, even more so intentional with your family than you are in your business. And I think that, um, I, I, I'm stoked about being able to call DJ and be like, all right, DJ, I got some folks that need your assistance, right? They need that education process. They need to be able to run and, and find contacts and people that they can work with. And so, uh, man, thanks again for, you know, yeah, I, I, I know we're not done yet, but. Yeah, absolutely. We have we have about three minutes left, so I have uh, one or two questions from the chat here. But that's a really good point for all of our registrants and attendees, whether you're watching this live or watching the replay. All three panelists here are experts in their own area, and and we'll be sure to you know link to their websites and their LinkedIn pages in our show notes. So I mean, that's the whole point of of the sh a show like this is to connect high net worth investors with folks they can partner with, that they can trust, who are actual experts. So 100% to that point. So let's try and do like a quick hits lightning round here with some of this Q&A. I have one question in the chat. I'm going to put everybody on the spot. I'm going to demand that you answer this directly. Curious if you see ground up or value add having a better outlook in the current environment. James, let's start with you. Oof. Well, um, yeah. For me, it's it's value add. I, I don't have the stomach for a ground up. It's just it's a long, 
long segment. We're struggling to to identify what's happening in 2023. So, um, you know, it's this more my personal preference. I'm more kind of on the lower lower end of the risk return uh, spectrum uh, than than the opportunistic side with with ground up. It's okay. It's okay to have a personal preference. That's totally okay. Ashley, how about you? Lightning round, uh, ground up or value add? So in the stuff that I do, and I've been doing Opportunity Zone since 2018, uh, and it's almost exclusively ground up because it's so hard to value add and actually hit that substantial improvement threshold. So I'm a a ground up guy. Uh, DJ, how about you? I'm going to say it depends on the property type. And, 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 you know, because if you're, you might end up taking over an apartment deal, you know, we're talking about multifamily that is sort of stalled. You need to do development. Well, that could be a great opportunity, right? There could be a property that the operator really didn't know what they're doing. That could be a value add. You know, you look at cold storage, there's 200,000 units that are needed square feet, only like 50,000 are in the pipeline Well, you have to go ground up. So I, I think it depends on the property type. Once again, there's always a good opportunity, but you got to analyze it to say, okay, and is the return worth the risk? Yeah. Well, I wanted to put you on the spot, but I I think you did give it. I think that's fair that it depends sector by sector. And it's it's also geographic location by geographic location. So I think that's fair. You hedged a little bit, but I'll allow it. I'll allow it, DJ. I want to thank all three of you, Ashley, DJ, James, for joining the panel today, for just sharing your knowledge. I know we didn't get to as many questions as I wanted to get to, uh, but Jimmy and I will make sure to put uh, your all's LinkedIn's and your websites, podcasts, all that stuff on our show notes, show notes page for this replay. So I'm just encouraging all of our registrants, all of our attendees to, to get in touch with these guys and their various fields. They are definitely the experts. So I'm very pleased that they joined us today. That's it for today's show. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us a rating and review to help spread the word to other investors. And we'll be back soon with another episode.